Hello and welcome back to all our Radio Entrepreneurs, listeners and viewers. I'm producer Nathan Gobes. I'm excited to introduce you to part three of the Radio Entrepreneurs FBA Family Business Panel discussion, turning chaos into stability and profitability. In this spring 2022 edition of the panel discussion, which is broken into three parts, in this third and final part, we will be discussing transitions during chaotic times. If you have not yet seen parts one and two of the discussion, we recommend you head over to RadioEntrepreneurs.com or any of the many other channels we stream on to catch our first two segments. All of these discussions are intended to be highly relevant to family businesses, but also entrepreneurs of all types. So be sure to follow Radio Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, or any of the many other platforms we stream on to catch those first two segments. Next, I'll introduce our four panelists and hosts for this discussion. For their full introductions, please refer back to episode one, which is linked in the description below. We're joined today by Steve Wilchins of Wilchins, Cosentino and Novins, Rich Hershen and Kelly Berardi of Gray, Gray and Gray, and Chris Perry of Northern Trust. Welcome back, everyone. And then, of course, uh, the man who needs no introduction, Radio Entrepreneur's host and CEO of Mage LLC, Jeffrey Davis. Welcome, Jeffrey. I'll hand it over to you. Thank you for the Hollywood introduction. The man who needs no introductions. That could, that could, that could be quite ominous. So I don't know what it really means, in, 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 you know, since I'm your supervisor. But, you know, in terms of talking about Rich and Kelly, just Rich is an audit partner. Kelly is a tax partner. So we get the two different perspectives. You know, during these times of transition and times of chaos, it's quite interesting for someone like me uh, that has been doing transitional work most of my career. I've I've come up with a new uh, experience over the last year and a half. And that is that, let's say, people over the age of 60, baby boomers, have come into me and said things like, I can't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not qualified to handle this pace and this tension. I've turned it over to my family members. Uh, I, you know, it was never that easy before. I've heard people, I've heard, it's, you know, siblings say to parents, you've got to just leave me alone get out right now, or we're not going to make it through this. And so there's, there's a whole edge to transitioning that I've never seen before. Uh, works for me because it's sort of, it, 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 I'm getting a catalyst from inside the organization to help my work. But let's, before we get into the tough subject of it all, since I put a context, uh, is this a good time to be doing transitions and to be doing gifting? We have different people in the room who have all have experience with this more than me. I want to hear Steve uh, talk about the work that he does advising clients on the gifting side of things. Right. Okay. Well, certainly it's a good time because as Jeff mentioned, people are mentally spent, emotionally drained, financially challenged. Okay. So it, it's a good conversation to have and reality setting in. Do you want to sell your business? Do you want to transfer it? to your family members. Okay, with that factor, you have interesting valuations, probably low valuations. You still have the exemption on the gifting of still 12 million 60. That's still there that client per per person. So there's a huge opportunity to transfer value to family members if that's what you decide to do. 
and all, and also um, have the ability to swap assets when you set up a, a trust for your clients. So you're dealing with the tax issues on the tax basis of the assets. So the client is probably pushed to at least make a decision depending on what the industry is, but it certainly would be a good opportunity to do the gifting, take advantage of the tax act, as well as the uncertainty in the marketplace today. One of the, the big questions, Jeffrey, that comes to mind for, for somebody who's thinking about giving away a portion of the, of the business is, well, can I afford to? And there are structures in place that provide some element of hedging um, that allow the, you know, the grantor through uh, a, a spouse to get those assets back. Um, Steve can speak to that uh, uh, much better than I, but um, the ability to partner with um, kind of a financial planning uh, capability to model out various outcomes um, in terms of a subsequent sale, the tax implications of them, who's going to be paying all of that. And then what do you have at the end of the day? And can I live on it is a key uh, piece of the comfort, if you will, that a business owner needs to have if they're going to take action. Um, Because uh, without that certainty, they're just going to hold on to it. So just just to add to that, Chris, that's the other side of the coin. Even though people are saying to me, oh my God, I can't do this, or they're being pushed out. People are less clear what they need right. moving forward right now. Right. So I just wanted to add what Chris said. You know, Northern does an excellent job with regards to managing the affairs of clients. But also, I think what Chris is alluding to is the fact that not only do you have a choice of selling your business or gifting it outright, the question is you can have a half a loaf where there is a more sophisticated structure where you set up trusts and that you do have the ability, especially if you're married, to have the ability to transfer assets for estate tax purposes to be out of your estate and for income tax purposes to be in your estate. And that causes a number of items to be discussed and thought through, both from an income tax point of view and an estate tax point of view. But it also allows some taxpayers to financially afford to do a a one step before they ultimately want to sell the business or gift it to their children. Especially if they're married, they have that ability to do that. Jeffrey, I would just add uh, um, in terms of planning and tax planning and and just getting your business ready for sale, it's, it's really important if you're thinking about selling your business to, to think about the structure um, of the current business. And so if you've got, you know, a group that that you've got something that was created years ago and you've got operations in five different entities with different ownership and you, and you want to sell it, that makes it very difficult um, for the buyer to, to sort of digest that kind of structure. Um, And it, from a legal perspective, it's difficult to, you know, deal with all the diligence and everything else, especially if you don't have audited financial statements. So we spend a lot of time talking to clients about getting their business sort of ready for sale. Um, We talk about thinking um, sort of prospectively in terms of uh, reorganization so that you get the business to a structure that makes it attractive um, for a buyer. And, you know, we have valuations and multiples that 
we're seeing these past two years that I've never seen in the history of my career. And we've been doing M&A a really long time. So, um, you know, planning, which is what, you know, Chris was talking about is huge. We do a ton of modeling. Uh, it's one thing to sell your business for 200 million. Um, but you really have to understand what it's going to look like at the end of the day and what you're going to get, you know, for cash, because ultimately that, that is what you need to live off of. Right. Um, you know, we have some situations where we've got some sellers that are relatively young. We've got some international buyers coming in. Um, and the way that these international businesses come into the U.S. to make acquisitions is very, very different than what we're used to in the U.S. The way that they look at um, current executives is, is very different. And so, you know, for a 50-year-old, if they, they're told that they're willing to give them an employment agreement uh, for two years, and then they've got these ridiculous non-compete agreements, well, that sort of means a lot as compared to how that would impact somebody that's like 78 years old, right? So doing a lot of things and spending a lot of time in areas that we've never really spent a lot of time in um, these past couple of years, because the environment is so is so different and the multiples are insane and the amount of money that is floating through the M&A market is just the craziest I've ever seen. Right, right. Uh, the other issue, Kelly, I think you put, you know, raised some interesting points, but it's also timing of planning that you really yeah. want to set this up two years if you can in advance, because that will also allow you to change the jurisdiction possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, by the way, non-competes have been dramatically changed in Massachusetts. Yeah. So I think as you deal with companies and sales and, and contracts, you have to be careful <laughs> in jurisdictions because Massachusetts has changed dramatically there agreement so uh rich do you have anything to add to this i think others have hit on it i think it's just you know planning ahead and so you know waking up one morning and say i'm going to sell my company and maybe don't have audited financial statements have good controls in place or so on um certainly on the tax side doesn't really work that well there's an incredible amount of due diligence that a buyer does and they dig into everything and, you know, they're going to find everything. So, you know, in our experience, it's, you know, as Kelly alluded to preparing the company for sale and starting that out years in advance um, will make the process go much smoother. Um, And, you know, when you have issues and it just delays things and time kills all deals. So, you know, you want to just be able to have a smooth process that can go efficiently. Yeah. I mean, granting, um, you know, granting shares to sort of key executives two days before the deal closes is not a very favorable uh, situation two days before the, you know, before you close where valuation is sort of in place. So that's the kind of stuff that we're seeing a lot of. Um, that stuff has to be thought of well ahead of time, um, you know, and then it just, it's difficult to get to um, favorable tax treatment when that's the kind of stuff that's happening at the, at, you know, at the last minute. So um, a lot of time spending on, spent on escrows, um, indemnifications, and all kinds of tax issues. So it's important that you have a good sort of diligence team engaged and that you're clear with, uh, you know, where the issues, issues are and you're not trying to hide anything. Chances are it's going to come out at some point. The, the other thing that's coming up is clients that with the remote working, the income tax issues of a domicile in mass versus moving to another jurisdiction is creating interesting opportunities if it's done right and maybe splitting up some of the businesses and moving that outside of mass. 
So, I mean, it does create some opportunities. So Kelly, what you said is great. And certainly that would be another part of that checklist of looking at that as you plan through. I just find everything to be much more fast paced and complicated. And when it comes to family business transition than ever before, I used to be able to work at, you know, sort of a much longer timetable to work this out with families. And now that the leaders who are used to being so much in control and competent, they're kind of privately feeling out of control because the world is controlling them now versus them controlling the world. And they're, they're feeling a different pace. And I find that I'm more effective during these times working in a multidisciplinary team that's coordinating much frequently. So I'm working much more with the financial firm, the financial advisor, and the, and the attorney and the law firm than I ever did before. And it really is a team sort of project to try to help navigate their way through the transition in a safe process because there's just so many moving parts, both inside the business and outside the business right now. To just look at it as a personality thing or an asset thing is just not enough anymore. And, and I'll, I'll add in one other factor, maybe out of the blue, that uh, that uh, that Chris uh, brought up offline, and that is the whole uh, rates to the instability, and that's cyber uh, cyberware insecu- cyber insecu- excuse me cyber security, and I think that also is undermining some of our whole sense of trying to do these things calmly. Uh, Chris, do you want to address that? You know, I think there, so much of what we're talking about is, um, you know, the en- inertia is the enemy, and deferring important um, kind of. Uh, prophylactic actions that are going to be helpful down the line is only going to cause problems. We've, you know, kind of anecdotally have been helping two separate business owners with um, uh, an exit, a liquidity event, one of whom had put in place pretty good cybersecurity protocols, the other one of whom hadn't. Right before um, both sales, both companies were hacked. And the company that had a good protocol in place basically shut the entire system down for a whole day, which was problematic, but the, the hacker did not get into the system because that was the way the protocol was designed. They were up and running a day later, they had to apologize to customers, et cetera, but they, the integrity of their system was, was preserved. The other company was offline for a long time, had to pay a ransom and it was, and it de- delayed the whole closing, and it was kind of a disaster. So, um, I think it's a real, uh, you know, kind of word of caution to the wise: get your cybersecurity protocols in place. If you're a small business, you are a target, um, and uh, the hackers are out there, and you know, war is being fought. And one of the the frontiers of war now is cyber and um, state-sponsored attacks are real. We at Northern Trust deal with it on a, on a daily basis, thousands of hacking attempts um, on a daily basis for a large organization like ours. We have the, the, the infrastructure to be able to combat that. Small businesses don't. They, have to, they really have to um, make that investment themselves. I think it's a great point, Chris, and hugely important. I mean, we've seen, you know, I don't know, I guess in the last couple of years, just an uptick in cyber crime and, you know, um, networks held for ransom and, and all that stuff where, yeah. you know, not too many years ago, you never heard of this stuff or, you know, you read about it in the paper, but didn't think it would happen to you. It's, it's out there and, and it's pretty scary. Um, and so companies, you know, large and small need to deal with it 
Gregor and Gray just launched a um, cybersecurity division. So we can be helping our clients with that because it's, you know, not just the big companies you read about, read about in the paper. It's, it's smaller businesses, medium-sized businesses as well. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, just, excuse me, Kelly, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Go, go for it. No, I was just saying, I, I find that some of our um, closely held small businesses aren't taking the cyber issue um, seriously. We've talked a lot, you know, about them. And I think there's sort of a sentiment sometimes that, oh, this would never happen to us. So I, I think it's been difficult to transition them, um, you know, to a thought process where cybersecurity is extremely important and they need to have, you know, proper sort of protective measures in, in place. And so we've struggled with that a little bit. I hope, I think that's going to change as more information comes out on, on Russia. And I think sometimes people need to be kind of scared into it. So that's sort of what I, what I've seen. Well, I, I agree with you, Kelly. You know, it used to be they say plan for the best and uh, prepare for the worst. And I think right now preparing for the worst is a big part of any, what I said in the last segment, 30, 60, 90 day business plan. I'm prepared every day for something to happen to my computer. And I'm, I'm watching what's coming through my computer uh, closer than I've ever had before. And I'm very paranoid about what's yeah. what, what yeah. I'm seeing. So, but I do appreciate everybody. I noticed that our producer, Nathan Gobes is back on the screen. That must mean we're at the end of this segment. Uh, Nathan, take it away. Thank you, Jeffrey. And of course, thank you, Stephen. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Kelly. And thank you, Chris. Uh, that was an important conversation on transitions during chaotic time, cybersecurity, and everything else in between. Um, some really uh, important points for family business owners to consider whether or not they're preparing for a transition now or uh, think there may be one down the line. But that wraps up the last segment of our spring 2022 edition of the FBA family business panel discussion, turning chaos into stability and profitability. Thank you to all our listeners and viewers who have tuned in for this on Radio Entrepreneurs. Links will be provided in the description below to parts one and two if you didn't already hear them. So be sure to check those out and click subscribe if you're on YouTube or follow if you're on one of the podcast platforms to stay up to date on all our postings as they go live. And if you're a fan of our videos, please like, comment, share, subscribe, press the bell button. All of it helps immensely to keep our channel running. Radio Entrepreneurs is also highly active on LinkedIn, so be sure to go follow our page there as well for more business advice and discussions. Until next time, goodbye, and thanks for listening on Radio Entrepreneurs. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.